Tonight we'll look at our third installment in the book of Galatians. I'm going to give a somewhat short recap, not the nice, big, healthy kind that we're used to or that I would really like, but I really haven't covered a lot. So we're going to look, we're only in chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. So it's not going to take a whole lot to recap just a little bit that we've looked at. Please turn there, Galatians chapter 1. We'll look briefly at what we've already studied. Notice, <clears throat> Paul starts out identifying himself as an apostle. The first couple chapters, the first two chapters specifically in Galatians, Paul has to establish the fact that he is an apostle and he's arguing in these first two chapters mainly his apostleship and the source of his gospel. All through Paul's epistles, if you've read these, he, he don't speak, he don't write unless he's mentioning Jesus and the gospel. If the Galatians had what we had in the completed Bible, they would not have asked the questions I don't think they would, that they ask of Paul. Notice, he says, I am an apostle. My calling is not from men. He goes ahead and mentions from Jesus and God, equating Jesus with deity there. He mentions in some more gospel there, raised him from the dead. His, uh, part of his customary greeting, grace and peace. More gospel, who gave himself for our sins. Going on down, he gets into part of the meat of his uh, discourse, his letter. He says, he announces his surprise, his astonishment. He says, I cannot believe you people have departed. I don't think I mentioned, uh, I made it clear in the first, when I, mentioned, when I taught this part, was he said, you're so quickly deserting him, well, that equates with if you're, if you're deserting, if you're leaving off part of the gospel or you're adding to the gospel, you have left God. You have, you have turned away from God. He makes that clear in that voice, in that, in that verse. I mean, uh, the next verse, I mean, uh, yeah, the part of that verse says... Uh, you're turning to a different gospel. And then he kind of corrects himself. Turning, you're turning to a different gospel. Then he says, no, it's not really another gospel. He said, you've taken the true gospel and twisted it. Uh, and again, I think back to the message I had a long time ago about uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And maybe I wasn't clear. The, the title assigned to it was God Hates Idolatry. Yes, he does hate idolatry. But my point in that was that God specifically hates that flavor of idolatry. When people take God, what God has taught, and they take something that come from man or come from the devil, and they try to, to do both at one time. The Galatians were on that precipice. He says, you have taken the real gospel. You're in danger of adding to it. Anything perfect, anything perfect, uh, the accountants, the, the math people in the room know 
you don't you don't balance your checkbook and say, well, I got ten dollars in there. Well, just to make it right, I'll put eleven. No, you don't add to it. It's not going to be right. You don't take away from it. It's not going to be right. He said, you don't add to it. You have taken the true gospel and distorted it. That turns it into something vile. Come on down. He says, uh, he points out that anybody, any teacher, he says, if some of my group comes and tries to convince you of a different gospel, he said, even an angel, should he come, he would be, called, he would be pronounced anathema. He would be devoted to destruction in hell. That's how serious it is to add or subtract from the gospel that we see in the, in the Bible. He repeats that twice. He brings up his past. And this is going to be, like I said, through the first couple chapters, you're going to, you might be thinking, well, I wish we'd hurry up and get to some nice theology or some nice spiritual things. Well, Paul's building a case. So we have to look at Paul. It looks like the, uh, the whole thing is about Paul. We'll get, we'll get to the, the stuff that you want, but Paul is making his case, and we have, to, we have to go with what the Scripture has. He says, Am I now seeking the approval of man? Then, in, later in the verse, he says, I used to be. He said, That used to be me. In my old life, he said, I was a man pleaser. He says, That's not the way it is now. And that brings us to verse 11, where we're at tonight. <coughs> uh, we're going to hear th things that uh, I did not know. I'm sure some of you Bible scholars maybe knew this about Paul and his calling. Uh, it's going to be good. He begins in verse 11. He says, I would have you know, brothers, now that, that same language appears in 1 Corinthians. We're going to lean heavily on both Corinthians books and the book of Acts when we look at Paul's past. Uh, he says, I would have you know. This is like, uh, maybe you have a friend. I, I've got a friend. We've got, and it seems like everything that they want to tell you is important and profound. This old friend I got, he says, let me tell you something. You might be talking, you might be in the middle of a conversation. Let me tell you something. He's, this is something big to him. Well, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. For I would have you know, brothers. He says, this is important. This is vital. That the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. Well, uh, what's the problem with that? Do we want man's gospel? No. But the Judaizers has accused Paul of a partial gospel. And that would assume that, he, that it was human and that Paul had, because God would not have a, a partial gospel, they said, oh, you have to, you have to follow the traditions just like uh, the Jewish people have for so long. You still have to be circumcised. You still have to observe the rites and the sacrifices. <coughs> so he says, it's not man's gospel, not only, uh, he says, that would assume that his gospel was not only human, but incomplete. Now, we're going to look at uh, 
several scriptures, and we can you can turn to them. I'm going to turn to a few and read, and these support what Paul's teaching and and support his case. We're going to look at his history. Paul is trying to prove that not only is his gospel he does call it he, he does call it his gospel is to prove that his gospel is complete, but that no man ever had a part in its conception or its completion. He calls it his gospel because it was entrusted to him. We see uh, later his assignment. He was, he was assigned to the Gentiles. Peter was assigned to the, they called it the circumcision, the Jewish people. They want to take the gospel to them. He said uh, in three different places that I found, there may be more, Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Romans chapter 16, verse 25, and 2 Timothy 2, 8. I'll look at that one for you. 2 Timothy 2, 8. These are the places that Paul refers to it as his gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my, in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul was not shy about calling it his gospel. This was his burden. And we're going to look a lot at Paul's past. And you're going to see, I mean, uh, people that I, that I read and people that I listened to when I was looking at trying to do research for this, they said that Paul necessarily, the world would not be the same had Paul not done what he done, had, had God not called Paul. This is, uh, it's fascinating to see that one man had such an impact. Uh, again, Paul describes the source of his gospel partially in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. I'll uh, read that for you. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's pointing out this is a slightly different uh, subject, but the principle is the same. He's saying the gospel does not come. Spiritual things do not come from men. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Paul is stating in Corinthians there, the gospel is not man's gospel. It is not fleshly. It does not follow the uh, Old Testament sacrifices and, and rites. Continuing verse 12, he says, I did not receive it from any man. So, when we look at Paul's history and Paul's life, the, the Galatians didn't know this. The Judaizers, probably some of them did know this. <clears throat> what man would Paul have learned this from? Every time Paul gives his testimony, several times Paul gives his testimony, he says, from my youth, from my youth. And what, what does he say about his youth? He says, I was learning at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. There are more than one Gamaliel in the Bible. 
There's probably only one in the New Testament. That's one we're looking at. In the Old Testament, there's, there's a couple more mentioned. What does the Bible say about Gamaliel? Uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 33, this is an instance where Peter and some of the, the apostles are being accused that they're, they have been jailed and been beaten. And the council comes together. <coughs> and this Pharisee named Gamaliel steps up to give his, to give his uh, testimony. And he, I'll, I'll break it down. Pretty much he says, don't worry about these guys. If you leave them alone, it, this problem might just solve itself. They were going to jail them. They, they were probably in danger of being executed. That's, what, uh, that's the, one of the first times. This is pre-Paul. This is Gamaliel speaking. I'm pretty sure it's the same Gamaliel Paul studied under. He's described as a man very uh, respected in the community, somebody that people listen to. And they listened to him that time. Okay, if Paul had got his gospel from his past, from his education that he had been in from his youth, Gamaliel was his teacher. Pharisees, when we see in the gospel, all four of the gospels, Pharisees were not tolerant. This is one of the most tolerant things you'll see a Pharisee say about the gospel or about Jesus. He, the Pharisees were not tolerant. He says, I didn't get my my gospel from my upbringing. Uh, in this account, Gamaliel showed, showed the cool head of wisdom and experience, and I think he was actually viewed as being liberal to the rest of the Pharisees. This passage doesn't portray Gamaliel as fiercely opposed to Christianity, but just kind of passive. Uh, again, Gamaliel comes up when Paul brings him up in Acts chapter 22. He's, uh, Paul's giving his defense to an angry mob. He said, I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. So, would Paul have got the gospel that he gave to the Galatians from his, from his education, from his upbringing? No, he would not. This is just another, another step that he's building. And can you notice how this verse is a lot like the, the way he makes a statement in... Uh, in verse 1, he says, not from men or through man. And here he says, in verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. And understood in that sentence is from any man. He says, I didn't get it from a man. I didn't get it from a man who got it from another man. He said, this does not come from man. That's the negative of Paul's argument. He says, that's where I didn't get it. Now we're going to start looking at where I did get it. This is the, the part that surprised me. And there's some good stuff here. In verse 12, he says, I received it. Uh, let me get back in the right place here. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a very, very bold statement for any man to make to say that, that he talked to Jesus uh, or that he, he, he heard something from Jesus, it has become, you know, it was kind of popular back in my, when I was a kid, somebody's 60s and 70s, and there was all kinds of false prophets, prophets and all kinds of people who say, the Lord has spoke to me and told me to do this. Well, in Paul's day, it was kind of dangerous too. So for him to say, I got this from Jesus, 
Jesus had died on the cross. And even if you were one of the people that believed that uh, he had risen from the dead, you would be skeptical of Paul saying, I heard it from Jesus. But direct divine teaching is what he's talking about. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Paul writes, What I received, the same language, that Christ died for our sins, again, if you prick Paul, he spews gospel. What I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day according to the scripture. This is the real gospel. But Paul, when he says this, he's given us insight. He says, for what I received. Where did I get it? He said, I got it from Christ. When we study this timeline a little closer later, probably won't be tonight, we'll see how this happened. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is my favorite, and this, this washed over me like a tidal wave. We hear this every Sunday. I said it this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, 23, the Lord's Supper. Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you at the Lord's Supper. Paul wasn't at the Lord's Supper. That was the, the 12, and maybe that might have been all there was there. Paul was not at the Lord's Supper. Paul had to get this from Jesus himself. Uh, now, if you study times, uh, some, most of these times are not exact. And we don't have a lot of times in the New Testament this year, this year, this year. When I looked up the dates of the writing of the Gospels versus the writing of uh, 1 Corinthians, just like the book of Job, you know, it's not the oldest events in the Bible, but people believe that Job is, was written first. Same here. People believe that 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. So how could Paul have got that? I think that is cool and fascinating. Paul is indirectly telling, telling us that Jesus spoke to me. Uh, later, we'll see that Paul mentions a three-year gap in his ministry, he's going to mention it right here, before going to, to Jerusalem. So, most people believe that in that three years, he went to Nabatabian Arabia, he says, I went to Arabia, that he actually studied, he was taught by Jesus, the risen Christ. I think that's outstanding. Uh, that's where he got his training. So, why would he get three years? The other apostles got three years, didn't they? He says, I had three years of apostles. He said, I am every bit an apostle, just as much as the, the twelve. Uh, again, now we're going to move to Acts. We're going to refer to uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 12. And we're going to see... Uh, we're going to be introduced to a man named Ananias. Uh, well, you wouldn't have to read that. We can. We might as well. What else we got to do, right?
This is where we, we find another little bit of information about Paul. And uh, he says, uh, this is where we're, we're let, in, let in on the fact that Paul would see Jesus and hear words from Jesus' mouth. And we begin reading in verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, this is Paul giving his defense, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to see the righteous one, to see Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. That is fascinating to me. He says, you will not only see the risen Christ, you will be taught by the risen Christ. And in the next verse there, he says, Paul, what are you waiting on? Get up, be baptized. As a Pharisee, trained by Gamaliel, Paul was a scripture expert. I mentioned this before. He, his mind was greater than any mind that, that I know. Jesus said that John was the greatest uh, prophet and a great man. I have to think that Paul was very good too. He was a scripture expert. Like I mentioned before, Paul referred to his education as being from his youth. They would t take a young boy, uh, 12 or 13, I don't know if it went any younger than that. They would give them charge, give the, uh, the teacher, in this case Gamaliel, charge of this boy. They followed him around. They served him. They helped him. It was kind of like an apprenticeship. He said, from my youth up. And uh, he was educated in the traditions. He said, I was uh, zealous for the traditions of my father. He didn't say I was zealous for the written law because there was more than the written law. Now that caused a lot of problems for the the Old Testament and even the New Testament uh, Jews. You remember the there was a place where somebody said your prophets and your rabbis and your Pharisees put burdens on the people that they can't bear because we can't bear them. They had added to, they had expounded on the Old Testament. Well Paul took that and made a hobby of it. He, he had the equivalent, before he left Gamaliel, before he became a Christian, he had the equivalent of two PhDs. That's not mentioned in the Bible. I found that somewhere else. That is amazing because he was probably, at the most, I'd say early 20s. Uh, he studied the orally interpreted Old Testament called the Halakha. They didn't have printing presses. We all know that. They didn't have the, anything printed. was very precious. If you had a scroll, you were special. So they transmitted it by word of mouth. It was huge, huge, huge. Uh, they referred to it as it was called the Halakha. So imagine Paul being put with Gamaliel, 12 years old, maybe, Spending all that time with him, day in, day out, 
orally reciting not only the Ten Commandments, not only the, the things we see in Scripture, but these, these things that were called uh, the way to walk. It was like civil law. It was like uh, uh, moral law. It, was, it covered how you live. Try to imagine Paul knowing all that. Two PhDs. Having all that. And the risen Lord coming to him. Just like he did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared and he said uh, the account in Luke chapter 24 about Jesus, the risen Lord. He was just after his resurrection. It says, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he done that for Paul. Except Paul had all his prerequisite classes. He was already an expert. Can you imagine the way Paul lit up? So Paul is telling them, my background is not, does not lead me to the gospel that I gave you. There had to be a point that a change was made. Paul says, it's not from man, it's not even the Old Testament gospel. That was just the beginning. In verse 13, Paul says, you wouldn't think that about me because you have heard. Uh, you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Uh, a minute ago I mentioned Ananias. We'll read, uh, let's just read another one about Ananias in Acts 9 verse 10. Paul was known all around this place. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise. Go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, that's you, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul had a reputation and it was not good. Ananias pretty much tried to play the Jonah card here. He says, uh, I don't like that man. You mean, Saul, little guy, nice coat, funny hat, Gamaliel patch, got a bag full of handcuffs. I don't want nothing to do with him. The thing was, God had lined it up on Paul's end. He had lined it up on Ananias' end. 
We read uh, uh, more about his reputation in Acts 9.21 and 9.26. He gives more of his former life. He tells his, uh, his story about the Damascus Road. Uh, verse In chapter 9 of Acts, we see that. In chapter 22, he tells it to another group in Acts 26. Let's just read that one. Uh, 26, verse 4. This is Paul's past. This is how people knew him. My manner of life from my youth, again, from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. Paul says, I was pretty much minding my own business. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. This is how Paul gives, he says, this is how I used to be. I used to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. So, more of Paul's testimony. He says, people... My gospel is true because I got it from Jesus. I would not have got it out of my past. Think about this. That little uh, part there. He said, I would try to make these people blaspheme to Paul as a devout Jew. What would be blasphemy to him? To say he would try to make them say something against the Ten Commandments or against the sacrificial system? No. He would say, tell me what Jesus said. Tell me, that, tell me the gospel. So every time he'd done that, Saul was hearing the gospel over and over and over. When he tried to force these people to blaspheme, to him it was blasphemous. To them it was the truth. So he heard it over and over. This was building up to his conversion. Paul persecuted the church and tried to destroy it, he says. He admitted it. Uh, when we're first introduced to Paul... In Acts 7, it describes him as the, the one, he was the coat keeper when they stoned Stephen. Uh, they laid the coats at, a young, at the feet of a young man named Paul. Very likely, in this, uh, the way they done things, the person keeping the coat was probably the one that instigated it or the one that, that carried the authority that said stone him. Imagine seeing... Imagine Stephen's sermon, sermon convicted Paul after he learned the truth. He heard all these believers blaspheme. When he was exposed to the truth, the risen Lord came to him, revealed all the Old Testament about uh, 
how it, sp it actually spoke of Jesus, he'd say, because that sermon that uh, Stephen gave, whew, it was long, pretty much a whole chapter. He went through like from, just like uh, from the beginning all the way up through the Old Testament, talked about Abraham and everybody. So Saul was reminding them, was reminded then of the gospel again. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Paul, Saul is described as he began ravaging the church. Uh, this is right after Stephen's stoning. Now, ravaging is just like a wrecking crew. They don't salvage anything. Uh, they don't take prisoners. Paul was tearing up whatever he could tear up, however he could do it, the hardest and the fastest and the worst, the quickest. This word ravaging is likened to a vicious animal, particularly a wild boar. They're very ferocious, they're strong, they're fast, they're mean. Saul's youthful zeal contrasted with his teacher's passivity. Gamaliel had become kind of mellow in his old age, maybe. Saul, in his youth, he was literally a terror. He was known. He said, you know me. He said, I, you know how I tried to destroy the church of God. He didn't say. When they called them Christians, that was originally a, kind of like a, an insult. When they called them the way, that was kind of like that way, you know. This, this new thing they've come up with. He didn't refer to it as that. He, what did he call it in verse 13? He says, I persecuted the church of God. He realized there was a distinction. It was not a sect. It was not a passing fad. Paul now realized that it was actually the church of God. Uh, if we had a, a King James Bible, we would see that uh, he said his past, he said, you see how I profited in the Jews' religion. He is very sober and serious sharing his testimony. At this point, and this is many years after, Paul realized that he was responsible for a lot of destruction and pain. And apart from God and with the zeal of youth, he tried to make his own way. And that's just another form of man's gospel. He said, my gospel, the gospel I gave you, Galatians, that's not it. In verse 14, back in Galatians, he says, I would, he was giving his testimony, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. I already mentioned the, the halakha. So here I'll just talk about the wording. He said, I advanced. This word is a picture of a person with a machete going through the jungle. He said, I was chopping, I was making my way any way possible in Judaism. I was sold out, I was in the club. I was gonna make a name for myself. Not only did Paul excel in Old Testament law, but he uh, talked about the halakha. He was, it was much broader. Uh, he said, I knew all these things. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. 
That's the way he described himself. I was advancing in Judaism. Uh, we see, uh, remember I told you that halakha actually translated means the way to walk. It, in, it encompassed not only your relationship to God, but your relationship to your neighbors, your relationship to how to live with people. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, you'll see God's command to walk in obedience. That's where they got this, I think. Walk, the way to walk. But if we look in uh, chapter 5 through 8, when Jesus, uh, in Matthew, Jesus teaching, he said, the things that you thought you were teaching, this whole big deal you made about the Ten Commandments and expanding on them, he said, that's not even a good start. He said, God requires much more than that. It cr Jesus crushed all their thoughts about man's self-confidence and it showed exposed man's helplessness no matter how much law he knows. Paul was faced with this in his heart. He goes on in verse 15. This is the turning point. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He, he admitted. He finally knew. He said, God had a plan for me before I was ever born. He said, this is all part of God's big plan. He set me apart before I was born. Paul admitted his own error, but he completely acknowledged God's sovereign plan. He says he called me by his grace. When Paul calls Old Testament knowledge, when Paul's Old Testament knowledge was paired with a vision of Christ and three years seminary in Arabia, he began to taste grace. He began to see what grace was. He said, I, I have, I've got the brain. I have got the education. I have got everything that I need to advance in Judaism. He said, you know, Gamaliel's getting old. I'm the best student. One day that's going to be me. But that's not grace. He says, that's not the gospel. Paul realized all his sin, all of his sin, and he had begun to see a little bit of God's mercy. He held his apostleship both at the same time in honor and soberness and in humility. He says, it's a big thing. He says, I'm not worthy. I know my past. Nobody knows my past like I do. But, he said, nevertheless, that don't take away from the responsibility and the gravity. The gospel that I preach springs from, from God. In verse 16, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. In some translations, you'll see, reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Uh, before conversion, Paul only cared what pleased him. He admitted that in the earlier verse. He said, I'm, I was a man pleaser. He says, but now God was pleased to take me and change me. It's part of God's plan. He said, uh, the things that pleased me was a name. 
I was building my name. I was building a reputation. He said, I wanted to be feared by those that I considered inferior. It just sounds like Paul was a little educated bully. He's just a mean little man. But a blinding glimpse of the glorious risen Christ was his turning point. Uh, now he was like Jonah. He was like a man humbled, taking the gospel to people who were not like him. Verse 16. Now we're going to have to, uh, I'm going to break away because all of this, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go for just a small bit of scripture here because that left us hanging with another big lump at the end. Paul is making a, he's given a timeline. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave off soon. Verse 16, he said, I did not consult with anyone, nor go up to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem to the apostles before me. So Paul is circling back down to his point. He's reminding his readers that he was a fully authorized apostle. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, uh, he describes himself as last of all, as one untimely born. He said that God appeared to me. Under the Holy Spirit's influence, Paul declared that although he was later than the other 12 apostles, he said, I, was, I, was, I admit it, I'm late. I'm, you know, 20 years late maybe. He said, but I'm, I am an apostle. He also said, last. Paul was the last apostle. He was kind of like grandfathered in. Uh, no apostolic succession exists. As we go through this book, we'll be uh, contrasting a lot of uh, the gospel and a lot of what the Bible teaches against other religions, and specifically we're going to come up a lot against Catholicism. They lean heavily, apostolic succession. I think that's where they get their popes. He's an apostle. Paul says, I'm the last one. Okay, from that point, Paul has laid out his testimony, his history. He's given this huge, undeniable case. Where would I get this gospel? This is not man's gospel. Okay, now he lights into what happened after he was converted. He says, I didn't consult with anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. Remember I mentioned the three years. This is uh, uh, a different Arabia than what we know of today, Nabataean Arabia. I think it was south from where he was at. After that, he said, I again returned to Damascus. <laughs> then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, to visit Cephas. We know that's Peter and remain with him 15 days, two weeks. Now, could Paul get all the truths of the gospel in visiting Peter for two weeks? No. But I saw none of the other apostles. This is interesting, too. None of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Funny that he's mentioned as an apostle, ain't it? 
It's, it's odd. He's considered an apostle in this text. In what, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, this is more of his reputation. He said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. They wouldn't have recognized Paul if they'd seen him, but they knew his reputation. In, verse, in chapter 2, he gives more. Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of revelation, set before them there privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running. I will come back to that, to uh, chapter 2. That's where we'll start next time. But I had to uh, include that timeline there, and we're going to overlap with that next time we come back. Paul was in his own heart, he knew. And it's very difficult sometimes when you're very convinced of something. You've been wrongly accused especially. He knew in his own heart his calling. He knew in his own heart what God had done for him. He knew how he used to be. He knew how he thought now. We'll see more of that. And his burden was to tell the Galatians, if you're actually saved, if you're really part of the church, and that's the way he talked to them, if, you're, if you've really believed, you're not going to lose that. But it's going to damage you. And it's going to damage future generations. He says, if you didn't really believe, and you're not sure, but you're leaning towards adding to the gospel, he says, you will not be saved. You cannot be saved. The gospel is perfect, just like it lays. You must not touch it. You must not take away. You must not add to it. So, he said, my gospel was not man's gospel. What is man's gospel? Well, all other beliefs and religion, man has... <laughs> I've never used Siri before, so I talked to her yesterday. And she took me to a place called Quora, and that said, now this is, you know, this is right off the internet. This is probably very general. But Quora says that there are 4,300 religions in existence today. So, if that's true, there are 4,299 versions of man's gospel that can be documented. Everything apart from the New Testament redeeming gospel about Jesus is man's gospel. You say, not Buddhism. Yes, it is. Not uh, the people that worship Allah. Yes, it is. Not Jehovah's Witnesses. They said they use the same Bible. Yes, it is. They've tampered with it. They've twisted it. They have distorted it, just like the, the Judaizers. Uh, what is man's gospel? You got this one. Everything else is man's gospel. Be on guard against it. Paul, we talked a lot about his education. Paul utilized every bit of revelation he had, which was the entire Old Testament. Our revelation 
includes that. Every bit is inspired. We have the same Old Testament he had, but ours is more complete because we have the New Testament. We had all these excerpts. We had all these references from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Acts. The stories about Paul and what all he done. Ours is more complete. And the Bible still carries the full authority of God. We learn from Paul that good intentions and zeal without scriptural basis can actually do more harm than good. Good intentions just don't cut it. You will crash and burn and ruin people's lives. It absolutely must be scriptural. Paul may have had a five-star rating as a Pharisee, but even he had to be born again like the worst barbarian that he hated. Later on, he says, I have become as you are. He says, I had to be saved just like you got saved. Paul's life lesson and experience show that we can't see any person as unsavable. We talk about God through Jesus imparting his righteousness righteousness to us. He wipes our slate clean. That brings us up to this level. I like telling this part. That he brings us up to flush. We don't owe anything. Well, that's good. He puts in our account Christ's righteousness. If we look at Paul, before he got saved, he would have been way down there. He had a lot farther to come up to be flush, to have his debt washed away. But it pleased God to use the person most opposed to the gospel. The gospel will work for anybody. Saul was horrible. He was not only, he was not just passively bad, he was actively bad, positively bad, deliberately bad in God's sight. And God saved him. Saul was no more saved than the youngest believer in here. No more saved. The same Jesus saved horrible, horrible Saul that saved us. Let's pray.